as we come to this great feast of Christ the King, I want to propose and point out something to you that no doubt you've noticed before. Depending on how long you've been a Catholic, you've maybe seen this hundreds or even thousands of times. What I want to point out, I will call here this evening, is the theology of liturgical processions. How exciting, right? When is Thanksgiving going to come? Let's come a bit quicker. The theology of liturgical processions is how I want to begin. Now you're saying, what is he talking about now? We as Catholics love processions, don't we? Corpus Christi Sunday, one of the highlights of the year, taking the Eucharist around the block. But did you know there's a theology behind liturgical processions? A few moments ago, the deacon and I and our two servers processed in. Did you notice who came in last? Me. Why? Because I'm running late? Maybe. I was cutting in a bit close tonight. Watching the Vikings win, finally. No. Why does the priest walk in last? Do you know? He's the minister of the sacrament. It is Christ through the priest who makes Christ present, body, blood, soul, divinity in the celebration of the Mass. The celebrant, the minister of the sacrament, walks in last. If we had 15 priests here, how do you know which one is the main celebrant? The one who walks in last. If you've been to an ordination before, you'll notice who walks in last. The bishop. Why? He is the one who confers the sacrament of ordination upon the man to be ordained. For those of you who go to weddings in your spare time, I go to a few of those, did you know that most traditionally, two people walk in last? And it's not the bride and her father, believe it or not. Most traditionally, the first option, and if, by the way, those of you who are married, if you walked in with your dad, it's still valid. It's okay, all right? It's fine. It's probably the most common thing you'll see. But the most traditional way a husband and wife, bride and groom, walk in for their wedding, if we follow the theology of liturgical processions all the way down, is the bride and groom walking in last together. Why? They administer the sacrament to each other. They are the celebrants, if you will, administering marriage to one another. So why is the priest there? Well, he heard that if he shows up, there's free keg beer later. And they always run out. They always run out. Everyone, where am I going with this? I'm not quite sure. But the reason I share the theology of liturgical processions as the minister coming in last is this. Today we come to the last Sunday of ordinary time. It's called Christ the King Sunday. And it's an easy feast to overlook. But believe it or not, everything in this church year has been leading up to today. Hear me out. We know the church year doesn't follow the calendar year, January 1 to December 31st. The church year follows a bit of a different calendar. It starts next week anew with the first Sunday of Advent. And if you think of a church year as a kind of procession, you might find it more helpful. We begin with Advent, of course, preparing for the coming of Christ. We listen to the Old Testament readings about the Jewish people awaiting 
the savior of the world, right? We then celebrate the birthday of Christ, our newborn king. A savior is born to you. We then have the very feast days after Christmas, celebrating the birth of the new king. We have Holy Family. We have Epiphany. We then take a little break, go into ordinary time. We then transition into Lent, 40 days of preparation, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, preparing us for the very reason this newborn king was born, and namely, what did he come to do? He came to die. He came to give up his life for the salvation of the world. And what is this king's throne? Not a royal throne. It's a wooden cross. That is his throne. That is where he reigns from. And then after the resurrection, we celebrate very feast days like Corpus Christi Sunday, focusing on the Eucharist, Trinity Sunday, focusing on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Pentecost. And then we go back to ordinary time. And everything then leads to today, Christ the King Sunday. But why does it lead to today? Because everything is, for those of you who are musically inclined, a great crescendo leading up to the fact that Jesus is Lord and King. He is King in his birth. He is King in his death. He is King in his resurrection. He is King in the ordinary times of our life. Are you with me? And he is King. Like I said, an overly and an often overlooked feast day. But what I think this feast day, everyone, is really meant to do for you and I is to serve as a time of examination of our own conscience, either on the last year or the year ahead. Namely, this question. Is Jesus the king of my life? Is he the king of my life? Now, before you answer that too quickly or hastily, understand what it entails. It means that if he is king... Everything in my life belongs to him. And he rules. And he directs. I don't call the shots anymore when Jesus is king. He calls the shots. Is Jesus the king of your life? That is the question. Now remember, what did Pilate say? Then you are a king. Jesus, in a kind of snarky way, says back to him, you say so. We say so oftentimes, but do we mean it? Do we mean it when we say it, that Jesus is king of my life? So, let's just go through a couple fun little examples of what this might look like. First, is Jesus king of my personal life? What kind of time do I give him? Everyone, in this last week, if you were to count up the minutes in prayer, the minutes spent reading scripture, the time spent studying some question of theology, what would it be? If Jesus is king, do we give him time? If he is Lord, do we live in his kingdom? We can say it, but do we live it? How about this one? When we came to Mass here this evening, you're at Mass right now. Have you prayed yet? Well, Father, I'm at church. I know you're at church. I know where you are. But have you prayed? Honestly, what is prayer? Lifting our heart and mind to God. In the last 25 minutes since you and I have walked through these doors, 
Have we lifted our heart and mind to God? Or do we show up, check out who's here, see what priest it is, see what kind of mood he's in, wait for one of us to make a mistake up here, and never lift our heart and mind to God? I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of you, but God bless you if you don't experience that. Is Jesus king? How about our different attitudes that we have? Is our life dominated by pessimism, negativity, always pointing out flaws, always pointing out the wrong and the other? Do we fall under the God of negativity and pessimism? Or is Jesus king? How about this one? Is there a lukewarmness in our hearts regarding the Catholic faith? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I mean by lukewarmness? It means just kind of a half-hearted living in Catholicism. Everyone, I got news for us. The last 50 years, the church's big endeavor has been lukewarm Catholicism. It's what we've been trying to do. And my question for you and me is, has it worked? Has lukewarm Catholicism been successful? What's your answer? I got one. It hasn't been. It has been the great endeavor of priests, of church leadership, of teachers. We think that lukewarmness convinces people. And everyone, the time is for it to be done. Now, I'm not trying to point any fingers at those of you who have lukewarm hearts because point the finger right back up here. How many priests, how many church leaders Just take a totally lukewarm, unconvinced approach to the faith. It's time for that to be done. Attitudes. Lukewarmness. Is Christ the king or not? What about our family life? What is the altar at which we worship? Is it the altar of the mass? Where Jesus gives us something totally unique, namely himself? Or do we worship as a family at the altar of sports? Putting sports before God. Putting politics before God. Putting hobbies before God. What is the altar at the center of your family and mine? Is it the altar of the mass? What about our marriage? Do we hold true to our vows of being true and faithful in good times and bad? in sickness and in health, to love and honor each other for as long as you both shall live? Is Jesus the king of your marriage? What about the church's teachings regarding marriage and family life? Do we roll our eyes at them? Or do we see them as something very serious that Christ has entrusted to his church and the church will always protect? Is Jesus the king of family life? What about the workplace? Am I honest and fair? Do I cheat? Do I show integrity? Do my words and actions reflect the fact that I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Is Jesus the king not just right now for these 45 minutes? Or is he the king everywhere and always? The choice is ours. Behold your king. He comes to save us. Is Jesus Christ the king of your life?